When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the best way to fall asleep with Nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two tabs on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it, and so will I. If you've been feeling overwhelmed with anxiety lately, try listening to a guided meditation on the Meditation for Anxiety podcast. Meditation is a proven natural way to help you calm down and dissolve stress so you can feel lighter and happier. So subscribe for free today to the Meditation for Anxiety podcast by searching for Meditation for Anxiety on your favorite podcast player. Jeffrey. Welcome back to Nightfalls. Come, settle in for tonight's calming meditation and soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Tonight, I will be bringing you a new installment of Sherlock's Twilight Year series. Thanks to those of you who asked for this through our feedback form, and to Andre James, who let us know that Sherlock was his favourite in his review. Please continue to give us your feedback in a review, or via the link in our show notes. But now, come, warm your hands beside the fire as we join the infamous detective Sherlock Holmes in his brief return from retirement. As Sherlock follows his intuition, he uncovers the mysterious past of the lighthouse, the centre of his investigation. I'm forever thankful that my own gut instinct and curiosity led me to return to nightfalls. And tonight, Sherlock's natural nose for sniffing out a mystery proves just as trusty as the truth behind an age-old story is revealed to him. Before I tell you Sherlock's tale, why not take a moment to wind down from the day? Come to a comfortable position and take some time to enjoy a little stillness. 
drawing a deep breath in. Make the decision, in this moment, to leave the rush of the day behind you. And exhale, feeling that energy drain from your body. Allow your eyes to gently drift closed as you grant yourself a moment to simply be with your body. To be with your breath. Feeling the air rush in through your nose and out through your mouth. Know that this is your time. There is nothing and no one more important than your relaxation. With each cycle of your breath, feel your thoughts beginning to clear. You're simply breathing in and out. In and out. In and out. Until you find that your mind is clear and you're finally able to tune into your intuition. So you reconnect with your body, with the instincts that keep you safe and help you thrive. Take a deep breath in and sigh out. Now, if you're feeling ready, Sherlock's adventure can begin. On a crisp autumnal afternoon, Sherlock Holmes strolled along the promenade of Inglewood Bay, a charming coastal town in southern England. The nights were beginning to draw in, and the air had turned a little cooler. But the walk through the town was still a pleasantly warm one. Sherlock had officially retired from the detective business, and had decided to spend his retirement in this beautiful town, which felt more like home every day. He paused for a moment and listened to the sounds surrounding him. The rush of the waves as they swept along the beach. Children laughing as they ran along the sand. The brisk wind whipping at their airborne kites the rhythmic clatter of the hoofs of a shire horse pulling a cart along a cobbled path. A seagull overhead let out its distinctive cry and swooped towards an unwary tourist who was enjoying a tantalising treat of freshly cooked fish and chips. Before Sherlock could call out a warning to the unsuspecting man, the sneaky seagull expertly pilfered a large chip and flew away with it. It all happened in a split second, leaving the unfortunate tourist open-mouthed in astonishment. Sherlock had been caught off guard a few times during his first weeks in Inglewood Bay, but he'd soon become wise to the modus operandi of the local seagulls and knew how to outsmart them. He walked on, extending greetings to other residents who were enjoying the agreeable weather. 
Sherlock received a brisk salute from Major Cuthbert, who strode past with the air of a man somewhere important to go. A friendly nanny he was pushing a cherub-faced baby in a perambulator stopped to ask about his day. In return, Sherlock inquired about the health of the baby and commented on how much the infant had grown since Sherlock had last seen him. The nanny wished him a pleasant walk before continuing on her way. Sherlock smiled when he saw a man in his late thirties walking towards him. It was the lighthouse keeper, Sidney Collins. As always, his grey-peppered hair looked as windswept as white-tipped waves on a stormy day. Sidney had once told Sherlock his hair had a mind of its own, and Sidney had long since given up the battle to keep it neat and tidy. Sherlock's pace slowed as he walked closer to the lighthouse keeper. Although Sidney was in his usual smart attire, there was something a little remiss about his clothes today. His white shirt was a tad rumpled around the collar. The grey waistcoat had been buttoned up wrongly. And Sidney's grey flannel jacket was folded over his arm in a haphazard manner, with one sleeve dangling precariously close to the ground. Despite the unruliness of his hair, Sidney was a man who took pride in his smart appearance. Sherlock raised his hand in greeting to the lighthouse keeper, but his greeting alighted on unresponsive ears, and Sidney walked by without noticing him. There was a frown on Sidney's forehead and a concerned look in his eyes, which Sherlock had never seen on the lighthouse keeper's face before. Puzzled, Sherlock turned around and watched Sidney walk along the promenade and onto the pier. He came to a stop a few moments later, rested his hands on the railings, and gazed outwards. Sherlock noticed the slight drop of Sidney's shoulders, as though a silent heaviness had settled there. The retired detective watched Sidney Collins for a short while, wondering what could be vexing the man. It really was none of his business, Sherlock surmised. None of his business at all. He looked away from the lighthouse keeper and carried on with his afternoon stroll. But, somehow, his destination changed and he turned around and headed towards the pier instead. He stopped near Sydney and looked out at the horizon, noticing fishing boats bobbing in the water not far away. He let out a sigh of happiness, rather louder than usual sigh. The lighthouse keeper became aware of his presence. Mr. Holmes, hello. I didn't see you there. Sherlock turned towards Sydney. Ah, Mr. Collins, I did not see you either. Isn't it a delightful day? 
Sydney's voice held the merest hint of sadness, which did not go unnoticed by Sherlock. It is indeed Mr. Holmes. Looking at the sea always calms my soul. He abruptly ceased talking, but unspoken words lingered on his lips. Sherlock remained silent and waited for Sydney to continue. Sydney cast another look at the waves before turning his full attention to Sherlock. Mr. Holmes, may I ask your opinion about something which is puzzling me? I know you've retired from your detective ways, but something is vexing me, and I can't find a solution to it. I would appreciate your advice, if it's not too much trouble. Sherlock told him it was no trouble at all. He led Mr. Collins to a secluded bench at the end of the pier, so they could talk in confidence. And so, Sidney Collins told Sherlock of his problem, beginning with how he had begun working at the lighthouse on the day he'd turned 15. Sidney had started his apprenticeship under the guidance of Mr. Atterbury and had soon learned the basic skills, such as checking the fuel supply and cleaning the lenses and windows until they sparkled. Before too long, Mr. Atterbury allowed him to work the gas lamp in the glass tower. Sidney remembered the first time he did so and recalled how he stood in awe watching the strong beam of light roam steadily across the dark, undulating waves. Sometimes, the stream of light met a moonbeam, and they danced together upon the waves for a few seconds, before going their separate ways. Sydney had felt like a guardian of the night, as he watched the light make its continuing circular motion over land and sea, sending notice to any vessels who may have sailed too close to the shore. He loved the stillness of the twilight hours and felt so very peaceful and contented, as though at one with nature. The years passed and it was time for Mr. Atterbury to retire. He said Sidney was ready to take over the full duties as the lighthouse keeper. With the flicker of a smile on his face, Sidney told Sherlock he would often look towards the moon-bathed roofs of the town on an evening and think fondly about the residents fast asleep in their cosy beds and how they were lost in restful dreams. Sherlock interjected at that point and said he'd experienced nothing less than a satisfying night's sleep ever since he'd arrived in Inglewood Bay. Sidney gave him an understanding nod. It's the town. It has a magical feel to it. He took a moment to consider his next words. Which makes me think magic must be at work in my lighthouse for I can't think of what else could have caused the light to come alive and flicker so mysteriously this last week 
Sherlock was a firm believer in facts and asked Mr. Collins to elaborate on his comments. Sidney explained how every afternoon, for the last week, the light inside the glass dome would ignite itself and flicker strangely for a full five minutes, as if affected by a strange burst of energy. Could it be the gas malfunctioning? Sherlock inquired. Have you started to buy it from a different supplier? Perhaps there's a fault, though I'm not sure how to explain the spontaneous igniting issue. Sidney shook his head and said he hadn't switched suppliers. He had changed the gas in the lamp to see if there was a problem with the liquid, but it hadn't made a difference. The thing is, Mr. Holmes, it only happens when I'm taking my daily walk. I've seen it from afar, even from this pier. It happened again a few minutes ago. It never occurs when I'm inside the lighthouse, or when I'm only a short distance away. It's like the building is waiting for me to leave it in peace, before becoming enchanted. Sherlock suspected someone was playing a trick on Mr. Collins. Someone must be sneaking into the lighthouse whilst he's out. Did he know of anyone who could be capable of such a jape? I don't know anyone who would do that to me, came Sidney's reply. And I lock the door. There's only one key. I've checked the door and windows, and there's no sign of anyone getting into the building using force. I've even tried sneaking back to catch the culprit, if there is one. But as soon as I rush back towards the lighthouse, the flickering stops. Sidney proceeded to put forth his suggestions behind the mystery, some of which involved scampish spirits from another realm. Sherlock put paid to that particular idea and said Sidney should gather all the facts together which would then lead to a logical solution. When Sidney asked how he should do that, Sherlock offered to help. And once Sidney took him up on his offer, Sherlock said the first course of action would be for him to observe the lighthouse during Sidney's daily walk. But, Mr. Holmes, everyone in town knows what a great detective you are. If someone is playing a trick on me, they will see you watching them and won't go ahead. Sherlock tapped the side of his nose and said Mr. Collins needn't concern himself with that because he was a master of disguise. Sherlock waved away Sidney's offer of payment and said solving the mystery would be of its own reward. As the mysterious light had already performed its perplexing movement that day, Sherlock considered it wise to watch the lighthouse the following day, when Sidney Collins went for his walk at 2pm. That gave the retired detective time to prepare his disguise. Sherlock and Sidney parted ways with Sherlock's reassurance that the puzzle would be solved soon. Then, with a new spring in his step, 
Sherlock headed to Inglewood View Hotel, where he was lodging. The eagle-eyed landlady, Mrs. Pemberton, noticed the wide smile on Sherlock's face the second he stepped over the threshold. She asked if he was on a case, to which he could only nod and state it was confidential, and, alas, he couldn't share any details with her. Mrs. Pemberton said she wouldn't expect anything else, but if ever Mr. Holmes should need her assistance with an investigation, he only need ask. She was the soul of discretion. Sherlock said, It's funny you should say that, because I do need your help with something, and great discretion is of utmost importance. He told his landlady what he required for a convincing disguise, and not only was she true to her word about being discreet, she didn't raise an eyebrow at his unusual request. At one thirty the next day, Sherlock settled himself on a bench a fair distance away from the lighthouse, not too close as to alert the unknown perpetrator of his presence, but not too far away either as to miss seeing the light. The only problem was that he couldn't see the door from his viewpoint, but that couldn't be helped. Sherlock had decided upon an elderly gentlewoman as his disguise, and it was one he'd used several times before, with great success. Extra details had been added to enhance his disguise that day, such as the basket of knitting, which had been kindly given to him by Mrs. Pemberton. But it wasn't enough to only carry such an item, and Sherlock had learned how to knit years ago, which added an extra layer of authenticity to his borrowed persona. And, he admitted to himself, he found knitting a calming pastime, and it had provided his good friend, Dr. John Watson, with a variety of scarves through the years. Even though Sherlock soon became absorbed in his new craft project, he kept a watchful eye on the lighthouse too. He saw Sidney Collins leaving at two o'clock, and five minutes later, he noticed a flicker of light within the glass dome. There was a certain rhythm to the flicker, one which Sherlock instantly recognised. It was Morse code. Someone was sending a message. And that someone was doing a good job of staying out of view whilst they did so. Sherlock allowed himself a small smile of victory. He knew Morse code well and was certain once he deciphered the message the mystery would be well and truly solved. But it was not to be. The message was one word, repeated over and over again for a full five minutes. Inglewood. Why would someone be sending such a message? And to whom? The mystery deepened. When Sidney Collins returned to the lighthouse, Sherlock told him of the message. Sidney was just as flummoxed as Sherlock, but the detective informed him there was an answer to every conundrum. 
He asked Sidney about the history of the lighthouse, and in particular, when it was built. Sidney supplied all the information Sherlock needed, and in great detail too. As the lighthouse keeper spoke, an idea came to Sherlock. He bade Sidney a swift goodbye and returned to his lodgings. He quickly removed his disguise before heading to the library to speak to the librarian there, Mrs. O'Connell. Sherlock had discovered quite early on was a fountain of knowledge when it came to town matters. He politely asked about her welfare before requesting a look at the town's earliest records. He knew of their existence because Mrs. O'Connell had told him about them during their first ever conversation. In case you need them one day, she had said with an astute look in her eyes, as if she knew a detective such as Sherlock could never truly retire. The town records were produced and laid out on a table at the back of the library. Mrs. O'Connell assured Sherlock he wouldn't be disturbed. Sherlock carefully surveyed the details and made the occasional note in a small book he always carried with him. He beckoned Mrs. O'Connell over and asked about a particular name. Percival Atterbury. He was one of the original settlers in this town. Is he any relation to Mr. Atterbury who worked the lighthouse? Oh yes, the librarian replied. He's called Percival too, but everyone calls him Percy. When he retired, he went on his travels around the world. Oh, I was hoping to have a word with him. You can, Mrs. O'Connell said. He returned a few weeks ago, and he's taken a room at Inglewood Retirement Home. It's on the hill overlooking the bay. Sherlock thanked Mrs. O'Connell for her help. As he left the library, he wondered if Mr. Atterbury had a view of the lighthouse from his window and had noticed the flickering light too. If so, he might know what the coded message referred to. With these questions in mind, Sherlock arrived at the retirement home and asked to see Mr. Atterbury. The warden led him towards a gentleman sitting in a chair by the window, who was gazing out at the garden. Sherlock took a seat next to the elderly gent. He was about to introduce himself, but at that moment, Mr. Atterbury turned his face towards him and smiled. And there it was. The answer to the mystery. In the twinkling eyes of Mr. Percy Atterbury, the mischievous twinkle of the boy he once was. Percy smiled at Sherlock and said, You discovered my message. I knew you would. Why did you do it? Sherlock asked. You've led Sydney a merry old dance. I know, and I'm sorry about that. I was hoping he would work out the message and know it was me. I have a spare key which Sydney doesn't know about. 
Sherlock asked Mr. Atterbury to explain what the message meant. Then he settled back in his chair, rested his hands on his lap, and listened as Percy began his tale. Many hundreds of years ago, a ship set forth from across the seas. Some say the explorers on board came from France and Italy. Others say they came from further afield. There's always been some confusion over that part, which no one can agree on. But they agree the ship was headed for England. During the voyage, the adventurers got caught in thick fog and became lost. My ancestor, Percival Atterbury, was on that ship and volunteered to take a small boat out to sea to find the nearest place to land. It was a dangerous mission, but he insisted on doing it, partly in an effort to impress a young woman on board whom he was in love with. As foolish as that sounds. But people do turn into fools where love is concerned. Percival sailed alone for two days before arriving in the, as yet, uninhabited Inglewood Bay. He climbed the cliff where the lighthouse now stands and lit a large fire, hoping to catch the attention of his shipmates, even though he couldn't see the ship anywhere on the horizon. For days, he kept the fire burning. And as fortune has it, sometimes, the ship finally appeared and saw his light. They were guided to shore, and upon settling foot in the bay, they all agreed it was the perfect place to settle. The captain was so impressed with Percival's courage and said the town would be named after him. But Percival requested it be named after the woman who'd captured his heart, Katerina Inglewood. One week, every year, the villagers would hold a light festival on the cliff to commemorate the founding of the town. They would hold lights, lanterns, candles and whatever else they could carry and stand on the cliff at sunset. It was a time to be grateful for the town, their homes and each other. Oh, and by the way, Percival and Katerina were wed. Percy smiled at a distant memory. When I first started working at the lighthouse, the festival was still going. But then people got busy and it was forgotten about. After my travels around the world, I was reminded of how wonderful this town is. So I wanted to create my own way of remembering those original settlers and my courageous ancestor. Perhaps I should have told Sydney what I was doing. But it seemed right, to me at least, that I sent out that message on my own. I suspect you think I'm a foolish old man, Mr. Holmes. I don't think that at all. And I'm sure Sydney won't either. Do you want to tell him? 
Percy said he would like to do that, and to ask for Sidney's forgiveness. The situation was soon explained to Sidney Collins, who told Percy there was nothing to forgive, and he would love to bring back the festival. Furthermore, he let Percy keep the spare key to the lighthouse, in case he wanted to call by for a visit. And that's precisely what happened. The celebrations took place the following week, and Sherlock was delighted to be part of it. Everybody who called Inglewood Bay home gathered together on the cliff, looking out to sea. It was nearly evening time, and the sun was low in the sky, casting its soft late afternoon warmth onto their faces. A small podium had been set up at the base of the lighthouse. It had been decorated with flowers by the schoolchildren, much to Percy's delight. Percy took to the stand and told his story, fond memories lighting his eyes. He rambled fondly for a short while about his childhood in the bay and about everything that Inglewood Bay stood for. Inglewood Bay for Percy was built on the strength and bravery of his ancestor and the tender love that still binds his family to this day. His speech went on for a little too long, Sherlock had to admit. Percy began discussing times gone by with exceptional detail. He had quite the remarkable memory, it turned out, but no one seemed to mind. Everybody was listening to Percy's tale and astute observations with a particular attentiveness. The elder residents of the bay would chuckle now and again at some long-forgotten joke, which they would then have to explain patiently to their curious grandchildren. It was special to see how much the residents of Inglewood Bay cared for the place, and to hear even the more mundane details of the lives of the people who had lived there. The whole festival filled the town with joy. They were thrilled to learn of the history of this beautiful coastal spot, that most among them called home. They were all reminded how grateful they were for their community. The warmth in the air was tangible as the town gathered to acknowledge their joint history and their appreciation of their neighbours and friends. The townspeople had gathered all they could to light up the evening sky. Candles and lanterns and assorted lights. As they looked out, the sun began to set and the streaks of orange in the sky turned to pink and then inky blue as evening rolled in. The younger children were looking for dolphins in the water below, pointing at any splash or wave that they imagined to be made in a dolphin's wake. The older residents wrapped themselves in blankets 
and savoured the cool air. Everyone enjoyed the sunset together before the sky grew dark and it was time to retire to their cosy homes. As Sherlock returned to town amongst the trickle of his fellow residents along the path that looked out onto the calm moonlit sea he felt like a very fortunate man indeed to have so many blessings in his life. He wondered if he could now retire once and for all from his detecting ways and spend his days in leisurely activities. But, with a small smile upon his face, he knew that wasn't going to happen.